Well, hello again, June Squad. It is I, Jay, master of all things nerdy. With me, as always, my stalwart companion, defender of the nerd faith, Sir Christopher, here with another exclusive interview for the Just Us Nerds podcast. Mr. J.M. DeMatteis is an American writer of comic books, television, and novels whose career has spanned four decades. His writing credits for television include such beloved series as Spider-Man the Animated Series, Batman the Brave and the Bold, Thundercats, The Real Ghostbusters, Just Us League Unlimited, and more recently on the digital channel CWC, Deathstroke, Knights, and Dragons. His movie writing credits include Justice League, Dark, Batman, Bad Blood, Batman vs. Robin, Constantine, City of Demons, and coming soon, Superman, Red Sun. In 2004, he won an Eisner Award for Best Humor Publication for, formerly known as the Justice League, with Keith Giffen, Kevin McGuire, and Joseph Rubenstein. I've said it before, and I will say it again. He is truly one of the music makers and dreamers of dreams. Please join us in welcoming Mr. J.M. DeMatteis in his third appearance on the Just Us Nerds podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, sir. Oh, that was a hell of an introduction. Wow, thank you. Ooh, I, and I'm spent. That's it. I, have, <laughs> I, I, okay, I can't do so it. that's good. That's we'll a wrap. Talk to you again next time. Yeah. Oh, love it! All right, now it's my turn. All right, you sit there. You go ahead and enjoy yourself, sir. Thank you so much. I'll just so keep much. coming back, and you can do introductions, and then I'll get off the phone, and that'll be the end of it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, uh, at, like we were talking about, I mean, um, let's let's get right into it. So, uh, Deathstroke. Yeah, a little background on. Uh, yeah, Deathstroke. we'll do a little. De- uh, so, Deathstroke was originally created in 1980 by Marv Wolf and George Perez, and uh, yeah. appeared in issue number two of the New Teen Titans, which I have. Uh, American comic book writer uh, Christopher Priest once described Deathstroke as follows. Not only was Marv's Deathstroke a villain, he's also kind of an asshole, which I thought was unique. He wasn't some misunderstood anarchist. He deliberately did skeevy things, most notably sleeping with Tara, a presumable underage girl, in his quest to exa- uh, exact revenge against his enemies. I read that and went, whoa. This was beyond the Joker. This was well beyond Lex Luthor. Marv created the first modern supervillain. He broke every rule by making Deathstroke three-dimensional and giving him internal conflicts while maintaining a level of skeeve we weren't used to seeing from a typical two-dimensional bad guy. So with that said, um, Mr. Demetrius, what was your inspiration for this Deathstroke character for your show? You know, what's interesting and I probably shouldn't admit it publicly. I was, I, you know, I was absolutely aware of Deathstroke because he's been around forever. Right. You know? But it's not a character that I knew intimately in any way. I'd never written the character. I remembered him from Teen Titans, but I couldn't have told you his backstory or anything. I just said, I know he was like a super assassin. That's basically uh, what I knew about him. So, you know, they sent me a bunch of material, as they do when you start to work on these animated projects. And what I latched on to was what what I found the most fascinating is the family dynamic. Yes. This is a story where you've got the entire family involved in this drama, and that's I'm always looking for ways to drill into character and emotion. You know, the action and the blowing up that's that's fun and that's the icing on the cake, but the cake itself. So I um that's what I really latched onto, and yeah, um I, you know I I thought well Deathstroke you know just another one of these sort of one dimensional killing machines, but then you explore the character. And, and, and as uh, Christopher Priest was saying, he's not one-dimensional at all. It's really a, kind of a fascinating character. 
and that's part of the journey that he goes through in the story, um, not just for the audience, but for himself in terms of his own self-awareness. Because, you know, we all walk through life and we all make excuses to some degree for what we do. Right. And when you do what he does, there are always self-justifications. And that's one of the things I wanted to play with in the story was his, his justifications for what he did. Uh, you know, in his mind, he's the knight, you know, the noble knight going out fighting the dragons, or at least that's the, that's the right. story, the lie that he's woven around himself. Yeah. And when that starts to unravel and he has to really see himself, how does that play out? And then you've got this whole family dynamic and you've got, uh, you've got the kids. And to me, in a way, this, what this movie really, a movie, it's a TV series, but it's also going to be a movie with an extra added uh, story when they release it on DVD down the line. Um, it's about family. It's about a very dysfunctional family. It's sort of like the, the worst divorce story you could ever tell. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's like, that's the wonderful thing about these larger-than-life characters is you can take these real things and you can just kind of blow them up just enough. So, you know, all those emotions that people go through in, in divorce and that children go through and the husband and wife go through, you play it out on this grand scale in a story like this, which is also a big globe-hopping, almost like a superhero version of a James Bond story. You know, so... There was a lot to play with here. So once I got familiar with the character, read some of the stories, uh, I really, really clicked into it and had a great time writing this. Well, I, th I honestly, folks, I think you envisioned, ahead, I, I think you envisioned him very, very well. Like I said, uh, one of the little nuances that I loved, I love the idea that um, Slade and his son have the same book, and Slade carries it around with him, and at bedtime they read, and then literally afterwards he overthrows a government. I mean, right. <laughs> that that was it. Honestly, was fantastic. Like I look at it, and I'm like, you know, here's a guy. Yeah, he's doing all this, but he's doing it for his family. Like it made me even look at it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I kind of understand. I get this now. Right. At least in his head, he is. Right. 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 And, and I, think... I don't want to give too much so much away, but there's the moment when you know his wife, who doesn't know what he's been up to, right. at least in our version of the story, uh, when she becomes aware of who and what he is. It's a big turning point, you know, for him. Yeah, oh yeah. You've made so relatable about the character because your your version of Deathstroke is uh, less, I I, th I think, compared to his comic book counterpart, uh, is in some ways has a little bit more of a moral center. I've always found the comic book interpretation of him to be more amoral, uh, and I, I think what makes him so relatable is what what you had said is that he does tell himself a story and and we've all mm -hmm. we know someone like that we we all i think we can all find someone in our life who we can point to and say yeah that's he he really is not living in the same reality as the rest of us right and, and i think we all do it to some degree you know and most of us do it in smaller ways you know we we screw something up and maybe we want to come up with an excuse for ourselves and we don't want to really look in the mirror and see what the truth is you know but now with a story like this, you're playing on such a, a, a large field that everything is just heightened to the nth degree. And that's what makes for good drama. You know? and, and it's a defense mechanism, isn't it? I mean, it's mm -hmm. it, because yeah. if he really had to live with the knowledge, I, I, I don't remember the exact line, so forgive me. I'm sure you, you will, but it's it's when... Uh, oh, I won't remember it either. <laughs> <laughs> well, Slade is talking. I remember he's talking with one of his colleagues and his and one of his, his <coughs> colleagues slash uh, other, other hired killer uh, talking with with Slade and saying, uh, ah, you know, still still playing the good guy mercenary, the right. mercenary with the heart of gold, and and he's trying to Slade is explaining, well, yeah, but I I fight for 
for just causes and uh, the, the to the the retort there that that you wrote, which I thought was very good, was I'm I'm you know I'm sure that the widows uh, and the orphan yeah, the children, and children of the men you killed, yeah, will will uh, will not agree with you on that one or something to that yeah. degree, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and and so the, it's kind of like calling out sort of the absurdity of it all and sort of the 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 distortion. But but Slade, or at least in the first episode, he he's not there yet. He, I don't maybe he'll never get there with that sort of uh, deep self realization. Well, and and that's and that's part of the journey in the whole story. And you'll see where it ends up by the end of the story and where we take him. Nah, we can't wait. We yeah. can't wait to see. You it. know, something I want to stress that I realize that maybe a lot of people listening don't understand. Uh, Deathstroke is on CW Seed, and a lot yes. of people go, "Well, what the hell is CW Seed?" Yeah, so why don't we talk CW about Seed that? CW Seed is is the streaming app. Um, there's a there's a CW app also if you want to be streaming Arrow and Flash and all that. But CW Seed is a separate streaming app from the CW network, where they have a bunch of pre-existing shows, you know, that you might have seen before, but they do a lot of original content as well. That's where we originally did Constantine, City of Demons, and where they've done Vixen and other animated DC things. And so you, it's a free app. You know, you can watch it on your computer. You can watch it on your phone. You can watch it on your tablet. Doesn't cost anything. Nope. And uh, and I guess on your computer it's not even an app. It's just a website. You yeah. Go to the site and you can watch this. Right. And and so it's out there. It's free. You don't have to pay anything. And it's 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 actually pretty cool. And they've done a uh, a number of really nice uh, animated shows with DC characters over the past few years. I'm gonna forgive me. I'm gonna throw you a little bit of a curveball, JM, because this is this is not a question that we had previously discussed. So <laughs> for, forgive me. Promise it will. He'll behave. So you heard it here first, Chris. If if he decides, if Mr. Dimitrios decides he never wants to come on the show again, it all it's started here fault. with this question. It's your fault. It's my <laughs> fault. It's my fault. Um, but Addie, I'm yeah. I'm very interested in Addie. Uh, she is not the. She's definitely not a damsel in distress. She's a right. strong female character. Oh yeah, uh, and I, I love seeing strong female characters portrayed in in genre. And I, I just want to talk a little about her. Did you did you have a specific inspiration for Addie? Did you were there places that you drew from from that character? Are you looking at the comics? Is uh, you know you know um, I didn't see a lot in the in the comics that I was given and read that really defined her. So I had to sort of define her myself. And then, you know, thank God for Wikipedia, you go in and read all this stuff on Wikipedia so you get a sense of the history. But I, again, as you said before, I had to kind of create my own version that I, you know, you have to take all this stuff and you have to boil it down. Because ultimately what this will, will is in the end is like a an 80-minute movie, you know? Yeah. So you have to boil, you find what you think is the essence of that character and boil it down. And she uh, is someone who has, she's in a way, and I hadn't thought about this, she is who Slade should be. Yes. She has the moral compass. Right. You know, she has uh, that, that core of decency. Um, although in the story, she too has to face her own uh, flaws and faults along the way, but not in the same way that he does. But she is completely, uh, you know, devoted to him, devoted to her son, and and had to give up, didn't have to, decided freely to give up a lot um, in order to build this family with him. And so when the time comes when she discovers what he's really been up to as Deathstroke, it blows up her life completely. And then when you see where it goes from there, uh, you will see her, as, you know, she's a strong character in the beginning. Right. But boy, as it goes along, when she gets her mojo back after, you know, having kind of given it up to be a, 
her mom and her wife being a little rusty. Uh, she really she really comes into her own again. Yeah. She was a great – I really enjoyed her. She was a great character to write. They were all great characters to write. Right. And what I loved about her, and I'll, I'll – you know, it's I, I wouldn't – maybe it's a little bit of a gush. But what I loved about her is you have created somebody who is Slade's equal. Like, mm-hmm. you know, as his wife and the mother of his child, you, you know, you wouldn't think of somebody – being less, being able to stay with him and keep up with him. Well, here is somebody who is able to keep up with him and be right there in the thick of it. Even his better in some ways because she trained him. Yeah, she's the. That's right. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, she was. She was the one who 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 trained him, and and in point of fact that he not, you know, become Deathstroke and and have that experiment done, um, she's probably tougher than he is. Yeah. No, I agree with you. So. Um, how, one, one more question yeah. about Addy. Sorry, I just, go ahead, I, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just found, I find this. I, I was not expecting this, but I just found this character just very right. very fascinating. Do you, and this might sound kind of ridiculous, but do you think she's got guilt? Do you, do you think she feels get because of basically had had she not trained right. Slade, she wouldn't have created she, this she, monster. She wouldn't have created this monster that now has she's had to deal with. Her son has had to deal with. Um, do you think that does that play into the character as you wrote her? No, you know, I didn't see that because they were, you know, they were both military people, and she was training him as as one officer training one of her men. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She yeah. didn't turn him into into a monster. Um, he turned himself into a monster. You know, you can debate about what the military in general does to people and how it can create monsters. Yeah, um, uh, because we're essentially training human beings to be killing machines. But mm-hmm. but there's mm-hmm. also, you know, there's also a code of honor there and things that that he completely throws by the wayside and what he becomes is so far afield of what she made him, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And and I think that's part of the contrast between the two of them. And yet, you know, the fun of this story, too, is despite the fact, as, as often happens in divorce, these two people ultimately are at each other's throats in a lot of ways, but they still love each other. Yeah. And that's the, as a writer, that's the best dynamic you could ever ask for. In a weird way, it reminds me when I was writing uh, Harry Osborne and Peter Parker back when I was doing Spider-Man. Right. And, uh, you know, Harry was the Green Goblin, and they were... They were mortal enemies, but they were still always best friends, right. even when they were trying to like blow each other up, you know. And that kind of dynamic as a writer—that's what you—that's what you hope for. To that that sort of emotional clay that you could dig your fingers into and really, really build something, you know. And the, and the two of them have that. It's really it's really fun. Well, well real really re- relationships are are complex. I mean, I think as much yes. as we would like our you know, the, to say that relationships are all like. Uh, Peter Parker and Mary Jane, or you know Prince Charming and whoever it right. was that was with Prince Charming. It it doesn't it doesn't work that way. Real no, relationships can we be... get Batman and Selena. We get you know <laughs> we get all of that. R- real relationships they they get messy right. and there's complex feelings right. involved and that's what gives the characters depth. So speaking exactly, and I have to say Peter and Mary Jane, there's there's plenty plenty of complexity and plenty of struggle that, that in that relationship along the years as well. Yeah. It was wasn't just smooth sailing for them, either. right? True. So true. yeah, that's what you know. It's and and you know maybe there are wonderful relationships where people are just doing okay all the time, but it doesn't really make for a great story. No, I agree. So <laughs> speaking of that, so how were you approached for Deathstroke? And also, if you can tell us, how long have you known you'd be writing this? Oh well, you know, I finished writing it some time ago because obviously it's on now. And right, it right. Takes a long time to to animate these things. Well, I had done this other see, there's two different streams uh, uh, with DC Animation. There's, you know, there's the main DC Animation, which right. is Bruce Tim and Jim Krieg and 
all those guys and uh, that I've done those other movies for. But CWC is sort of a separate avenue, and I'm working um, with uh, Peter Girardi, who oversees a lot of digital content there, and and the, and the executives from the CW network, you know, with this, which I was actually amazed from, and they take this stuff very seriously, and they give phenomenal notes. I mean, they really oh, that's great. Uh, you know. At, as a writer, you know, you always want it to be perfect. You don't want anyone to ever give you notes, you know. But if they're going to give you notes, please let them give you great notes. And right. both with this and Constantine, the notes were always about, can we go deeper with the characters? Can we go deeper with the characters? Can we make this better? You know what I mean? So yeah. those are the kind of notes I love. Anything that's going to make the characters stronger and give uh, uh, emotional ballast uh, to the story. So working with the CWC uh, people um, was just fantastic. And it was, it was a new group of people. And... I just thoroughly enjoyed them with both these projects that I've done. And I hope I get to do some more with them. Okay. Wait, wait, Justin, wait. I love working with the guy, you know, the other guy, you know, Bruce right. Jim Creed. Bruce Tim, I mean, you, you don't get better than these guys. Alan Burnett, I mean, these are, these mm-hmm. are guys that know story and know these characters inside out, upside down. You know, it's fantastic to work with all of them. So I can, I, I've been very lucky on both fronts, you know. Okay. So now with the show, I mean, Obviously, the cast that, that they've done is is fantastic. Did you know ahead of time that they were kind of leaning towards Michael Chiklis? Or no, you know, I find you know because I live in New York. If I was living in, in L.A., I would you know I would be involved more, and I could probably hear things recording. You know, record. I could be there for the voice recording and all this stuff. Right. But so for me though, it's usually just like uh, someone tells me somewhere along the way, or. You know, I may hear that so and so is being considered, but then they, they, you know, the casting comes comes out, and I'm really, you got so well, Michael Chiklis, yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty fantastic. Now, um, but when you and were... actually, it turns out that my daughter did a semester abroad a few years back, and and uh, acting uh, school in England, and one of her fellow students was Chiklis' daughter, so they're actually friends. Really? Oh, cool. So that was that was interesting. That's kind of full so, circle. Yeah, so he, he, He's great. He he was he did a, such a great job. But you know, I've always been impressed across the board with the voice acting in this thing. The voice acting in Constantine just blew me away. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, every yeah. single every single character and performance blew me away. And uh, so they cast these things really well, and they take it very. You know, you can tell the people that are doing this. They're not like, oh, it's a cartoon. I'm just gonna knock this out this afternoon. Right. Right. You know, they're doing a great job with these with these things. Yeah, I, like I said, like from this, from Constantine, and then also like Justice League Dark, like all the different characters yeah. that they they used. I mean, they they do just do a, a a fantastic job. So, but when when you were writing it, did you ha- did you hear like a different voice or I mean, you know, I don't usually. Um, you usually hear specific actors' voices in right. my head. I'm doing Constantine, you know, Matt Matt Ryan is Constantine now and forever in my brain. Mm. Um, but in general, I tend to, you know, the voices that I hear with these characters are just my own voices in my own head that I right. create. You know, okay. they're not specific actors. I know there are some people that are like, well, I'm going to picture this actor as this character, and that's how I'll get the speech done. It doesn't work that way with me. They sort of create their own voices in my head. Right. But, so it's always a, a delight when, uh, you know, when I find out who's doing it, then you hear their interpretation versus the voice you hear in your head. And, uh, you know, they're professional actors, so they're always better than what you hear in my head. <laughs> now, now, now I, I'm curious, and I'm not going to ask you to name names. I'm not going to a- get into specifics. And if you don't want to answer this question, you are okay. you can elect to pass. But I am curious. As a writer, okay. yes. I'm, I'm imagining, so your, your, your words, your prose are like your babies. You want them treated well by, the, by whoever right. the voice actor is. I am curious if you've ever had an experience 
when an actor delivered a line in a way and you you heard it and you thought, oh, that's not how I imagined it being read when I when I wrote it. Absolutely, and I'm not going to say when, where. Okay. Or who, All but right. Absolutely. But that's yeah. perfect. Very gracious of you, sir. Thank but you. But let me let me give you the other example. You yes. know, years ago, I I wrote for the live action uh, Superboy show, which most people don't even know existed. Um, Loved it. It was on for like four years. <laughs> yeah. And and I did a, two, a Lex Luthor two-parter. They had a guy named Sherman Howard who played Lex Luthor. Okay. And uh, and he was, Frank, most people don't even know the show existed. I think he's one of the best Luthers that ever. He was just a phenomenal actor. And in this one show, he played, you know, he, he, got, he got the essence of what I wrote, but he played with the dialogue a lot. And he was so embedded in that character that whatever he switched around was better. You know, because it suited the character so perfectly. And I always remember that. And, you know, sometimes you hear, you know, TV, writing for TV is a funny thing, books, because sometimes things get changed uh, profoundly by the time it gets on television. And sometimes it's not because they're unhappy with what you've done, but because of production issues, or this comes up or that comes up, so they have to change this, that, you know what I mean? Or they yeah. get last-minute network notes or, so that I've had shows where, like, the show comes on and I, I can barely recognize what I wrote. And uh-huh. the producers are like, we want you to do another one. You did such a great job. And I'm like, <laughs> My babies, what, what have you, you done? Know? Right. But because it had nothing to do with me, they loved what I did. And it gave the template they needed to build from there, you know? What I've really enjoyed, say, for instance, with Deathlock and uh, Deathlock. <laughs> all these death characters. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because I told Chris before the show that I would refer to him at, as Deadpool at one at point. Least during, at least right, once right. during well, the show. <laughs> you know how hard it is to write this script and keep flipping back and forth between Slade and Wade Wilson? You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's really, really hard. And now, we, we, uh, now I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, right. On the CWC thing, you know. What's great is once we get it, once we've gotten it straight, once we decide how it's going to be, uh, and we, I get the notes and I incorporate them, 98% of what you see on the screen is what I wrote. You know, in oh, terms that's of fantastic. all the dialogue, everything else, which doesn't happen all the time. No, you know, in TV, more often than not, it doesn't happen. Right. So I, that's another reason why I've really, really enjoyed these projects, because it's like, oh, yeah, that, that's what I wrote. You know, and then of course the animators take that and they go to town and they build the visuals. And take them to places I never imagined, you know, yeah. based on what I've written. But um, but so I've re- I've really enjoyed the fact that it's like, yeah, that's every line that I wrote. Ninety-eight percent of it's all in there. And maybe they add a line here or there, or they change a line here or there, but most of it's all exactly as I wrote it. And that's always a great thing to see. That has to and feel so rewarding. Yeah, yeah, it does. It really does. Well, so the episode one is now available on for viewing on for CWC. CWC yeah. uh, do right. you can can you give us an idea? Do you know when the next episode might be released? I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, I, I, all I know is that if they follow the pattern that they followed with Constantine, what they did with Constantine was they put the first batch of episodes up and left them up for a few months. Then they released the DVD slash streaming movie version which has the 15 or 20 extra minutes of story in it. Right. And they leave that out there for a while, and then once that's had its life, then it goes back to CWC for the second half. You know? Oh, so I got gotcha. you. So, so that the hardcore people that want the whole story with the extra 20 minutes will go out and buy the DVD or, or pay for it for streaming, and the folks that just want it for free can watch both parts on CWC, but you have to wait for part two. Yeah, and I will be spending money, so <laughs> great. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so, so uh, speaking of that, why don't we jump to our, our next big thing here? We know, can talk about, of course, 
the red sun. He, uh, he did invoke the man of steel, so I think that's a perfect uh, segue, or the boy of steel anyway, but yeah, close enough. Right, that's right. So, uh, for those unfamiliar, Superman Red Sun was originally a three-issue prestige format comic book miniseries that was published by DC Comics in 2003, released under their Elseworlds imprint. Uh, the original author was Mark Millar, and he created the comic based on sort of a what-if premise, or uh, what-ifs more Marvel, so Elseworlds yeah. premise. Uh, what if Superman had been raised in the Soviet Union? Uh, it's this comic book is the graphic novel is excellent. It's received critical uh, acclaim and was nominated for the 2004 Eisner Award for Best Limited Series. And our good friend yes. Mr. Dimitrius wrote the screenplay for the movie adaptation that will be, uh, according to Wikipedia, released on digital on February 25th of this year. So now we're, I've we're seen the trailer, and then the the physical, the physical DVD will be out in March. Yeah. Ah, thank okay. you. And I've seen the trailer, and it looks beautiful so uh why don't why don't we get right into it so the red sun's original writer uh mark millar um as as a writer what what are the challenges of kind of adapting another writer's work uh into a different medium well you know for one thing look especially with a story like this this is an amazing story that he wrote you know and and uh once again i have to admit I hadn't read it before we did the adaptation, so they sent right. it to me. I'd heard about it. I okay. knew its reputation. I, you know, it's, it, in, in some ways, I feel lucky that way. Like years ago, when I wrote with Justice League Unlimited, the first episode they threw me was an adaptation of For the Man Who Has Everything, the Alan Moore story. Yes. Which, at that point, I had never read either. So had I read it and known its reputation, I would have been totally intimidated. Mm. So, you know, I only read it in order to adapt it, so I wasn't intimidated. And so you know, maybe going in, if I had known the reputation of Red Sun, uh, was as towering as it is, I might have been a little more intimidated. But but in reading it, it's an amazing story. And what I really loved about it, I mean, the amount of imagination on display in this story, in a weird way, it reminds me of Jack Kirby, in that whenever you read a Kirby comic, especially the stuff he wrote himself, it's like every third panel had some other mind-blowing concept that he just casually threw in. Yeah. And it was like, turn the page, and on to three more mind-blowing concepts. Right. And Red Sun has a lot of that. There's so many incredible ideas on every page. Um. Now, you're going to take that and turn that into a 70- or 80-minute movie. So you have to really sort of – it's almost like you have to take a tree and whittle it down into a very concise wooden sculpture. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have to figure out what you're going to keep, what you're going to throw away. A lot of those wonderful concepts and ideas that are great on the page, they have no room. Mm -hmm. In that movie, you just can't get them in. You have to find direct emotional through lines for the characters, so that it's a, you know you almost have to narrow it down to a tunnel that's really moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. You can't take too many digressions along the way. So it, it was it was difficult on that front. Luckily, you know, I was on the phone each time with uh, Bruce Tim and Tim Krieg, you know, at Warner Brothers Animation, and you don't find two people who understand story better than those two guys. So between the three of us, we were able to get out our axes and chop this tree down, you know? Oh, that's and, fantastic. And, and, and then the challenge is to stay true to the story, to the essence. You know, what adaptation is not about staying true to the detail. It's about staying true to the essence of the story. I remember years ago, uh, I was a big John Irving fan, and I loved The World According to Garth, and they did a movie with Robin Williams. And in a lot of ways, the, mov the movie diverged so much from the book, and yet it felt so authentically true to the heart and the spirit of the book. And that's what you hope for. 
You know, yeah. you, you don't have to, you can't be true to every detail, but you can be true to the heart and the spirit. And I hope that that's what we accomplished with Red Sun. It was, uh, it was a real challenge, I have to say. We spent, it was, it was hard work. It was hard work. I like that and metaphor of the tree. That, 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 yeah, no, yeah. 100%. So, uh, apart from landing in the Soviet Union, um, well, see, we completely changed that. He lands in in China now. No, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, okay, okay. So, but You're, the heart spoiler, will be there. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. But alert. the heart will be there because he's still communist. But um, so, how do you see this version of Superman as different from like the mainstream Boy Scout? Yeah, well, you know, there's two things happening. One is, of course, he's been raised in this environment where he's been. Essentially, you know, like everyone else in the Soviet Union of that era, even though, of course, this is really an alternate history because once you enter the picture, it becomes a complete, you know, uh, it's like a parallel universe. Yeah. Um, but he's been raised with the Soviet mindset. Now, being Superman, he's kind of taken that whole Stalinist uh, mindset and and translated into some sort of idealistic vision of it, you know. Mm -hmm. And you know, one of the things that that he has to deal with in the story is is really seeing Stalin for what he was, which was like a lunatic mass murderer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um and but then even then when he when he when he steps forward, which is not giving a lot of weight because people know this, when he steps forward to take his place, um he's still you know, he's trying to keep the Soviet vision and yet do it in this when his mind it kind of goes back to what we with with Destro. In his mind he's doing this pure idealistic thing. And his journey also is about you know, what he believes he's doing versus the reality of what he's doing. He thinks he's making a better world. And the sins he may commit along the way are in service of this ultimate goal. Um, so there's that part. And the other part is, and this is what Bruce Tim kept um, emphasizing, is that, you know, also because maybe because he was raised in this colder environment, that there's a lot more of, of the sort of the alien still in him. He's yeah. kind of like this deeply emotional mm. Superman, you know? And my instinct as a writer is always to make all the characters deeply emotional, you know? Yeah. And Bruce is always like, no, pull it back, pull it back. No, no, he can't. No, no, we didn't. Okay, pull it back, you know? Um, and uh, and so that was that was a challenge as well. Um, but, you know, it was a fun challenge. When I say a challenge, I don't mean, and oh, I say hard work. I mean it in the best it's, sense. It's you know, you fun. want You want hard work like that, you know? And what's so um, interesting about this story? I'm sorry, I'll, I'll let you finish your thought there. No, no. I, uh, I, 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 oh, I, oh no, I, I was just going to say, what's so interesting about this story of Red Sun is the fact that almost when you transport Superman from one place to another, although maybe the guiding philosophy of the country that he's brought up in might be different, he's mm -hmm. still Superman in that he's taking that philosophy and earnestly trying to apply it, whereas other men are... Uh, they're, they're, uh, they're fallible, right? They're susceptible to corruption. Uh, he's not. So uh, he lands in the U.S. He believes truth, justice, uh, the American way, uh, but mm -hmm. without pure, pure, like a pure version right. of that. And as as you say, that it's it's the Soviet Union, and he believes he actually believes in these things. Where perhaps the leaders of the time, it it's a means to an end. It's a it's a carrot right. to dangle in front right. of people to get them to do what you want. But he really believes these things, and I find right. I just find that just a, such a fascinating exploration. Right, of, and of yet the at the same time, you know, in the in the name of this pure vision, he does some fairly awful things in the course of the story. Right, <laughs> right, know? yeah. And and he ha and 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 just as with Deathstroke, it's it, he has to step through some level of self awareness 
uh, by the end of the story without giving too much away, and that's all I'll say about that. Um, but, you know, the other fun, of course, is, you know, you've, you've got Lois Lane there in a totally different version. She's married to Luke Luthor, who is a very, very different version of Lex. And, right. Who in, is in some ways the hero of the story. Even yeah. Even though he, too, is incredibly unscrupulous in many ways, you know. Um, and then there's a whole other version of Batman in there. There's a big, really big relationship with Wonder Woman that's, that's in the story. Yes. So how much fun to play with all these I really enjoy playing with these sort of parallel versions of these characters also. Um, uh, Bruce Timm had done uh, the Gods and Monsters uh, animated movie. Yes. Which is a whole, and I wrote the, the comic book prequel that went with that. So that was fun to play with those. Or when Giffen and I did Justice League 3000 and Justice League 3001, same characters but totally different. And it's always fun to spin these characters around and and see them in a different light. So this, this presented uh, a way to do that with so many of these classic characters. So that really made it a lot of fun as well. So, actually, since we're talking about that, what do you think is the appeal for the Elseworlds and the what-if type stories? Well, you know, it was, they they really do work the best when you've got these these iconic characters whose origins and 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 storylines are sort of branded in our collective consciousness. Even people that aren't in, into comics can basically tell you about Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman, right? You know? Um, they, you know, they, they maybe be, you know, they're not going to be able to tell you about the Flash in the same way. You know? Right, right. I mean, I did, I did an Elseworlds years ago that I loved working on. The idea was that the rocket lands and it's found by the Wayne family, so Superman grows up to be Batman. You know, right. So it's always speeding it's bullets. Fun to, speeding bullets. Speeding, right. I love that one. But yeah. <laughs> so it's just, because they're so embedded in our consciousness, um, and we everyone really, you don't have to explain the basics. So it's really fun to then take that and twist it. And then you see there's always something fundamental in that character. No matter how much you twist it, that remains the same. It's really, really interesting. You know, when we did Justice League 3000, uh, they were damaged clones so that they, when, they, you know, when they came out of the process, they, they were screwed up in a lot of ways. And yet if you dug down to the essence of who they were, right. some, there's some form of that essence is always there no matter how much you twist it. So you have the fun of twisting it, and yet at the same time you have to stay true to the character. And it's a fine balance, but it's really fun. So you, you've written, you, you invoked uh, Batman earlier, and I, I was going to ask you about that because you, you've written Batman several times uh, in, yeah. in several different stories. So I was wondering, what, is it, what was it like for you to write this anarchist version of, uh, of Batman? Right. Yeah, and this is a very, you know, this is, this is a very different, Batman. Yes. <laughs> it's really yes, it is. Batman. Who, you know, and like everyone else in the story, you know, he also, in his own mind, has sort of a noble goal. And when you look at the story through his eyes, this guy, this this so-called Superman, is is, is as much a, a, a monstrous dictator as Stalin through his eyes. Yeah, know? he's a walking, he, talking he, um, propaganda poster, basically. Right, right, right. You know, and so he thinks he's the hero, but, but. Um, he does some terrible things also. You know? um, so, so it's yeah, it's very interesting, and 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 yet there there is that sort of it locks into that sort of monomaniacal aspect of Batman. You know, the guy who's had a trauma, and he's fixed on this goal, and nothing is going to keep him from it. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yet he's very very different uh, from from any form of Batman or Bruce Wayne that we've ever seen before. Consequences in be a lot damned. Of ways, the character. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I just said consequences be damned. Yeah, 
And I think if there's one character who's probably the closest to what we know, it's probably the Wonder Woman character here, you know? Because mm-hmm. she is, um, and she's probably the character in the story with the most integrity and who has a pure vision and really kind of sticks to it uh, through the story. Um, and and so she she's in many ways the real moral compass of this story, uh, and and she's she's an interesting she's an interesting player in the whole drama, and where she goes and where her relationship with Superman goes and how it ends, uh, is very interesting. So but, you know I don't want to give too much right of course no 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 I mean of, and you know some of those relationships are as they were in the book and some of them we twisted and turned a little bit and. and uh, and so yeah, we'll see when it comes out. We have to. I imagine you have to change some of it for the. Some of it is just maybe perhaps you go where the story you're writing takes you. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, exactly and, right. And and it also makes it very interesting for those of us who have read. We've read Red Sun, and it it can be interesting to see when the story takes a turn that you you didn't know. You you think you know kind of where this map will lead you to, and ultimately I'm sure you reach the same destination, but you may take a few detours, uh, different routes, if you will, that weren't taken in the original. Right, and different co- some different colorations to the characters. And, 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 you know, you want that. You want an adaptation to adapt a little bit. And that's why it's an adaptation. You know, because if you really want literally the same story, then then you can read the story. Right, <laughs> right exactly. Right. Yeah. So, of course, um, you know, this this movie's chock full with genre royalty. I mean, Jason Isaacs, Diedrich Bader. I got to tell you, let me stop right there. Jason Isaacs. I know. I mean, when I, and I didn't know that until I read the announcement, honest to God. Wow. And it was like, I love Jason Isaacs. Yeah. He's just, you know, what, what I watched the first. You guys, did you guys watch Star Trek Discovery? Yes. So I watched the first. Now, I don't want to give away spoilers if you haven't seen it, but they're for year three here. So, you know. He's Captain Lorca, and and by the end he's not who we think he is. Right. And I, by the end of the series, I'm still rooting for him. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I I rooted for him more than any of the. I wanted him to win in the end, not the people, the other people who we're supposed to be rooting for. He's such a good actor. Yes. Such and a good actor. He so honestly when is. I read that. Yeah. You know, when I read that, I was just like, oh my god, I was so happy. That's great. And and you know, and and Diedrich Diedrich Batter. I mean, he Diedrich typically Brad. plays Batman. And you've also written for him before I, on yeah, uh, he, Brave and I, the Bold. Yeah, I wrote like seven or eight episodes of Brave and the Bold, and it's a totally different thing he's doing here. Yeah, know? he's playing Lex. That was sort of like campy, fun Batman, and this is like, this is serious stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, obviously when, when you're writing stuff, and they're kind of going back with rewrites, and do, do you guys, do you get to interact with any of the voice actors or how that works, or is it typically like just you, Bruce, No, Tim, I don't. And... Like I said, if I if I was in L.A., it would be different. Right. I'd probably be there for the voice sessions and all that. But because because I'm in New York, um, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't happen. It might happen if I'm out there on a business trip or something. I remember being out there for a Brave and the Bold recording session, you know. But in general, no. They may send me, um, you know, often like, like on, on Deathstroke and Constantine, they would send me what are called animatics, which are sort of like the rough – the animation version of a rough sketch of the of the movie, and you'll and you'll hear some of the voice work. But even then, some of the early voice work, they have actors standing in for the lead actors right. to kind of get the animation right. Okay. And, uh, so yes, a lot of times the performances are a surprise to me, um, when until I finally get to see the finished product, or the or they may send me you know the final animatic with the with the final voices. Now with Red Sun, I haven't I haven't seen anything. 
It's, you know, what you've seen of Red Sun yeah. is what I've seen of Red Sun. Okay. Wow. So um, uh, I'll be going to uh, the, the New York premiere, which is happening. Well, I shouldn't uh, I won't give too much of it, but it is, it's coming up it, it, uh, probably. You know, in, in that's June. fantastic. It's yeah. slightly. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. Well, I was just going to say, it's slightly empowering for once to feel like we know as much as you do <laughs> about something. <laughs> yeah, because you've well, always got your at least I know projects. what's in the script. Ah, <laughs> why'd you have to knock me down a peg? <laughs> right. Couldn't That's you just what let you me, get. Couldn't you just let me have my moment? There. I'm sorry. I'm Remember, sorry. pride comes before the fall, my friend. That's, that's right. That's true. Um, all right, so this is Superman Red Sun um, yeah, digitally comes out February 25th, and uh, JM, you, w- uh, when did you say it comes out uh, on, on disc? I'm pretty sure it comes out mid-March on, for DVD, and for I'm sure it'll be available for like streaming you know, for a price on Amazon and other, other, other platforms. Websites. Um, right. So yeah, mid-March, I would look for that. Do you, you um, have fun working on this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, it's been a. It, I kind of stumbled backwards into the animation field about 15 years ago, and and it's just been it's been great. It's I've 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 loved. Have I loved it all? I've loved 99 and 9 tenths percent of it. You know, every once in a while you may have an experience yeah, like any job bad. that you don't love. You know? That's not bad. But I'd say, I'd say the vast majority of it has been really really pleasurable. Really really pleasurable. Because it's a different kind of thing. You know, when I'm home working on, on comics and other things, I. It's just me in my own head. And once you're working in TV and film, it's much, much more collaborative. As I was saying with Red Sun, where I'm on the phone with Jim and Bruce for hours at a time, the three of us putting the story together and working on it. Um, and and that's, that's a nice change as opposed to me laying on the floor at my office screaming, trying, oh, what am I going to do? How am I going to fix this story? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's nice to have the contrast between you know being alone and having my freedom to go off and do it exactly my way or working with these usually talented people who understand stories so well right. and collaborating with them. Uh, so, and then, then, you know, the magic of seeing it come together and having these voice actors and these wonderful directors who bring this stuff to life. You know, another one I did recently that uh, came out on the recent Wonder Woman Bloodlines uh, DVD was a short that had Neil, Damon's, Neil Gaiman's death character. Yes. First time death, death mm. disappeared in any other uh, medium, I believe. One of the best animated things I've ever worked on. And um, just, 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 just wonderful, and and uh, just what a beautiful job they did with the animation and everything else, and uh, turned out to be like a little, little sort of twenty-minute Twilight Zone episode starring Death, and, and mm. could, couldn't be happier with that. So there's some great, great satisfaction in these collaborations, and and then getting to see the, the finished product, you know. This is sort of an odd question, but I'm an odd kind of guy, so it, it, it's all right. <laughs> where, where do you write? I, I'm, I'm just kidding. Do you, do you write at your kitchen table? Do you, you always, studio, do you always write basically. in your office? Yeah. Do, you, do you write on well, your you back know, porch? Where do you write? For the longest time, I was very, pretty much wedded to my office, you know? And, um, and in recent years, what I do is I wander around with my laptop. I may be in my office. I may be... Sometimes sitting at my dining room table, which I realized, like, by you know, hours later, was like not the best place to be sitting because now my elbow hurts because whatever it is. Or some days, you know, I'll, I'll go. I'm going to go sit in bed and write today, or I'll go and oh, I'll go in the other room over here, or I'll go in my wife's office because she's out, at, she's working, you know. Uh, so I, I, I've taken more to wandering around with my laptop, figuring out where I'm going to sit for the day to do the work. 
So it, it's Thanks. not one thing anymore. Some days I feel guilty that I'm ignoring my office. So much, you know? <laughs> well, thank you for answering that. I just, I, it's just kind of you know, a little something I was curious about. Right. Well, Go, sorry. Go I was going to say, you know, it's it's been an absolute pleasure, you know, uh, talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Magical. To, you know, be able to, to talk to us about like these two creations oh, that you had. Delighted to do so. it. Delighted to do it, and I'm very excited about both these projects. So I hope that as are we. Enjoys them. So yeah. so as always, this is usually my buddy Chris's line, but I'm I'm going to take it. Uh, are you working on something now, and can you tell us about it? What can I tell you about? The only thing I can mention that's coming up, which will also be out in March, was I, I got the chance to um, to do a Star Trek thing for IDW. Oh. They're doing, they're doing a, a series of Mirror Universe one-shots. Okay. So I am a hardcore fan of the original series. That's my Star yes. Trek. Yes, okay. And I have my one of my favorite movies of all time, not just science fiction, not just Star Trek, just favorite movies is Wrath of Khan. Yes, okay. And they said, do you want to do a Mirror Universe version of the original Khan story, Space Seed? Wow. So, okay. And so I, 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 you know, I would have said yes if, if they weren't going to pay. <laughs> um, you signed the contract yeah. already, right? Right. Yeah, so oh, okay. it's, it's done. It's, it's done. done. Okay. Yeah, my, my, my friend Matthew Dow Smith, who's a wonderful artist, is doing the artwork for this. And it was just so much fun. Kirk, Kant, Spock, you know, and to take same thing that we're, it's kind of like you know the mirror mirror universe stories are like Elseworld stories, mm -hmm, right? You, mm -hmm. you know, you 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 have a, a same characters, different premise, and then you twist them and turn them, and yet you have to remain true in some way to the essence of who they are, even right. though you've completely twisted and turned them. And I had such a good time writing this, and that comes out in March as well. Um, the other things that I'm developing, I can't really talk about right now. Okay, I will mention a couple of things that are. Well, there is a, there's another episode. Uh, I've written three episodes for the Marvel Animated Spider-Man show. Two of them have aired when their third season starts in the spring. You'll see the third episode, which features Moon Knight, which was fun. That's a character I wrote a long that time That is ago. such a cool character, yeah. And then just to plug a couple of things that are out there right now, uh, Dark Horse put out a beautiful, over the summer, put out a beautiful hardcover collected edition of Moonshadow. Yeah. called Moonshadow, the definitive edition, which is just, I am still... Uh, shivering with delight at what an amazing job they did. Um, tons of extras in the back, printed beautifully on beautiful paper, hardcover. Really, really happy with that. And also from Dark Horse, the collected edition of the series I did for Karen Berger's uh, New Line Burger books, uh, The Girl in the Bay. That's out from Dark Horse as well. So those are the things. Oh, right. And finally, I forgot to plug this too Impossible Incorporated, which is a series that I did last yes. year for IDW. Mm -hmm. um, all ages cosmic fun in the Kirby tradition um, is also out now in a collected edition. So everybody can just run right now to your local comic shop and buy all that stuff. Bring money, as I like to say. Fantastic. Or, yes, bring, yes, it would be helpful if you brought money. Bring, bring money, or or if you if you're of the digital age, go to Comicsology, right. where I'm sure That's it is right. also available. That's right. You could read it instantly. Which is also which is really the fun of in, of, in, of, uh, of the digital age. In, the yes, in this nature. in our, our binge watching in in yes. instantaneous gratification uh, culture. Yes, we need to be able to suck it in with our eyeballs as quickly as possible. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? You know, I I was talking to my wife about this. I remember years ago. This must have been back in the early '80s, watching some show, and they were like, 
you know, and someday you're going to be able to just turn on your TV and watch whatever you want, whenever you want it, you know. And I was like waiting, you know, maybe this will happen by 1986, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And and um, and here we are living in that world, and it's really pretty mind blowing. Yeah, the, the future is now. The future is absolutely now. Well, this has been right, actually fantastic. So thank you so much. Like I said, again, t taking the time out and. You know, I know you've got a lot of, you know, stuff that you've got to do. So hopefully, you know, the next time we talk to you again, there will be another time. There, there will be more stuff to talk about. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be happy to come back when the next round of stuff is out there. Well, that's fantastic. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it has been a fantastic time sitting here and being able to chat. This has been an evening with Chris J. and Mr. Jan Dimiteas with the Just Us Nerds podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we will catch you next time. Bye.